Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Howard episode. Howard Stern is still on the air. <sighs> How? We're already going off the rails. He just signed like another contract to like extend his show. What is he talking? I'm Diego Crespo. That's Matt Garingo. You know this if you're already here. What, what yeah. does he talk about? Um, he just interviews people. I don't think he does the like shock jock thing anymore because I think he's kind of ashamed of it. <laughs> like, yeah, because he kind of like ruined an entire medium. I wouldn't way. go that far, but it's no, like, no, I, maybe not. It, 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 I mean, there's a lot of like factors. There's a lot of mitigating yeah. factors to that, but like, I, I do think people strived for that shock jock attitude for a little too long, and yeah. that's kind of how that does lead us to like the more conservative aspects of YouTube and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, no, he definitely is like a pioneer that like led to that. Like, there's a there is a line that you can draw from the rise in popularity of Howard Stern. To Donald Trump, <laughs> like I mean, kind of, yeah. That, but there's a hundred percent, and I think that is what scared him a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I think that realization, because you don't want to be. Re- I think he's like worried about being remembered as that guy. Yeah. You know? I mean, but yeah, I think, and you know, I, and then like he, you know, he had the whole situation with Artie Lang, which is pretty rough. You know, like, eh, it's. He gives a good interview every now and then. <laughs> he interviewed fucking Francis Ford Coppola. I haven't seen that. Yeah, it was like years hmm. ago. Like the Francis Ford Coppola was coming on to promote like one of those movies no one saw. And it was just like it was just interesting. Like there was that weird era where like he suddenly became legitimate once he went satellite. You know. Mm-hmm. So like actual prestigious people started showing up on his show occasionally, and it was like a big deal. It was like oh shit, he's got what's his name. And I think he's trying to do that more now. I think, like, in his later years, he wants to kind of be like, I'm not going to bring someone on and harass them like I used to. I will say, I did see the Robert Downey Jr. bit when he's talking about his post-Iron Man career. And, of course, he does kind of, like, egg on RDJ to be like, you know, Scorsese was saying this stuff about the comic book movies, and they're not real cinema. And, And But thankfully, Robert Downey Jr., who is, like, a class act in person, I guess was yeah. just like not having it. He's like he can say whatever he wants because he's Martin Scorsese. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like yeah, and it, it's also this weird thing of like every now and then, like when he's he's a good interviewer, but every now and then he lets like him trying to force his worldview onto whatever interview he has. You know, I, I've, mm-hmm. that that that's happened a few times. It's weird. He's had such a weird career. He brought fucking Conan O'Brien on like when Conan, like, had just taken over and they threw him, like, a goodbye party. Oh. To, like, because they're like, you're going to get canceled any week now. Like, when he had just started. <laughs> Aww. And they just harassed him the whole time. And, uh, it's actually a pretty funny thing to watch, but, yeah. <laughs> but we are not here to talk about Shock Jocks. We are here to talk about Legend of Korra, Legend of the Last Retrospected, the last four episodes of Book 3 Change, mm-hmm. And there's actually, like, a lot of change that happens in these yeah. episodes. Um, these kind of, like, hit the ground running and they don't stop. Yes. At all. <laughs> They're fantastic. And not to derail things again, but I, for a moment, I have to say, I was thinking of ways to try and tie Howard Stern into Legend of Korra. And all those avenues are bad avenues. <laughs> <laughs> like, anything I could say would be a bad thing to say. So, Well, I mean, you know, there's a lot of radio personalities on this with the voice and the, yeah, the, the intro. Yeah. 
Well, I thought first... the joke would be like, what if Cora went on the Howard Stern show? And then, like, you could make a joke about what he would say. And then I realized I couldn't make a joke about no. what he would say. No, no, you he could not. Say, he would say something terrible. <laughs> but, uh, first up, chapter 10, Long Live the Queen. Uh, again, sp- obvious spoilers for all of book three at this point. Yeah. Everything. No one here, no one here has not seen this show. Yeah, uh, and you know this is the the episode that fucked up like an entire generation of people. <laughs> mm. is, there, is it this one? <laughs> it's this one. Yeah, long live the queen. There's uh, multiple ones. Oh, okay. Well, in in these four. <laughs> yeah, in these four, they there are some heavy hitters. Um, yeah, actually, each one of these has like really fucked up stuff. So yeah, it gets. <laughs> this is when the shit just like gets fucking wild. Like where you're like I. Like, how do they get away with this? And is like I said, I think I brought up last episode that this is when it makes the jump to going online, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, right around, like, episode nine, I think, is when it happened. Yeah, the last and, five episodes of, of book three. And I'm, I, there must have been some... I feel like that might... It's had to have played some part in it, where it's like they were worried about airing some of this. Maybe the woman does asphyxiate to death. Yes, <laughs> you know. Do they, do they say though? Like I, I should have paid attention more to the language because there is like an important language thing where like I, they used to do this a lot on those cartoons where someone very clearly would die on like some of the old superhero cartoons, but they would never say that they died. You know? Yeah, they don't say the Earth Queen died. They say, yeah. like, they, oh, they took out the Earth Queen, or the Earth Queen has fallen at the hands of Zaheer and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, like, they couldn't, like, that's, like, the weird, like, line they just can't cross. And who was the kid from the the Avatar Last Airbender, the revolutionary kid who wanted to blow up the dam? A jet. Like, yeah, Jet died, and, like, but they couldn't say that he died. Mm-hmm. So... I guess they think kids are morons. I don't yeah, know. I don't like everyone who saw that understood what happened. You know, yeah, it wasn't you like are, yeah. You flip the channel if you know in these eras and go over the fucking Cartoon Network. You can watch Dragon Ball Z where people die like every other episode. They have like limbs blown off and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. People got shot through their bodies. <laughs> like, I don't know what anyone was thinking. But uh, I guess I don't know because I, I was I'm, I was a little older when this aired, so like it didn't really like it didn't traumatize me. It just shocked me. <laughs> where yeah, it, it, it was it caught me off guard. You yeah. know, there's the thing. Did this stuff when you were a kid? Did the stuff that shocked you was it a was it ever a death? No, it tended to be like body horror stuff. Yeah, it's like always like something that like is like either like intentionally or unintentionally fucked up. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, like the fucking weird clown nightmare in Brave Little Toaster. <laughs> uh, Alice in Wonderland, the the original Disney cartoon. I saw that at a young age, and towards the end, when the queen is chasing, I think I've talked about this before, but when the queen is chasing Alice and screaming off with her head, and all the characters from Wonderland are like radically oh, changing in it? size and shape yeah. and expression, like that image stuck with me forever. That gave me a nightmare. Yeah. There is the air conditioning that commits suicide in The Brave Little Toaster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love bringing that one up. <laughs> I, yeah, because, hey, guess what? Get that one stuck with me. 
he gets repaired at the end, so like I maybe didn't put it together, but he does scream and then explode. <laughs> so that. Oh one... well, there's no screaming in this episode. She just dies slowly. Yeah. Which is um, not much better. <laughs> yeah, you just watch her like clawing to live. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I mean, she was an awful person, but yeah, it's still, like, pirate, pretty harsh. It's still harsh to yeah. see. <laughs> yeah. Um, shit gets fucked up, and it's just, it's odd. But it's, it's just, it's that weird balancing, because we'll talk about this again, too, where it's like, you could tell that they were allowed to go further than you'd expect, but you can still see where the line was drawn. Mm-hmm. Like... I can't believe they didn't just do the Disney thing of, like, throwing guys off cliffs. Well, they did that the last episode in the spirit world. Yeah. But but even then, that guy does technically isn't dead. No, yeah, yeah. But, like, Mufasa fell off that cliff. (laughs) He's fucking dead. (laughs) (laughs) So. Yeah, and then there's chaos in the streets of Bossing Say because, uh... The Red Lotus, as we now know them to be called. Like, once again, tear down the walls, but yeah. there's no invading force. They just kind of let the city, like, implode upon itself. Yeah. And I, I think, it, I don't think it's bad that they, like, they, they open the walls in Bossing Say. You know, we had this whole conversation in, in the last Airbender retrospective where it's like, what, like, what, what is the good and bad? approach yeah. to bossing say basically and here i think it's just like the red lotus in this situation reveal that like this world wasn't working you know yeah. but they they don't have an answer for it they're just like burning it down well their answer is the burning oh i guess like, so yeah he's very explicit that he believes like chaos is the natural order of things and we should strive for chaos above order mm-hmm. you know yeah, and like uh, if Bossing Say like worked like as a city or city state, whatever it is, right? Like when they yeah. brought down the walls, it wouldn't have been like mass chaos. So people would have just been like, "What's happening?" You yeah. know. Well, there are ways to do it. I mean, <laughs> say, uh, I don't know. This is complicated because again, it's like if we're talking about anarchism, and like I don't think I'm I'm willing to bet anarchists don't think of things these ways. Yeah, you know? yeah, I mean it's yeah, yeah, it's a it's a heightened extreme. All all of Korra's villains tend to be like here's an idea that might be in good hands, but we're going to go to extreme lengths and like we've talked about a lot of pop yeah. culture now is always like, well the villains might have a good point, but their methods are all wrong. Yeah. But usually the methods aren't even related to like the ideology, which is a big problem. Yeah. And at least in Korra, they are like specifically related to like the, the the characters' philosophies or like how they view the world, you know, it's mm. more like in tandem with with well, the surroundings. There's a the good moment where after he kills the Earth Queen, and then they go to the guy in the radio room, and one of the one of the uh, members of the Red Lotus like grabs him, and he's like, "Hey, no, we're not here to hurt this guy. We're here to help people like him." Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like this weird moment of principle after strangling a woman to death, basically. Yeah, well, I mean that that also I think. Um, colors the villains more interestingly too because like Zaheer really does believe himself to be like a revolutionary for the people and maybe that's not like across the board with members of this group you know like Mm -hmm. maybe some of them are in it just for the pursuit of power in a way 
to determine what can and cannot succeed in the world. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't really get more of that, but that, that is something that I thought about on this rewatch, too. Like, okay, let's say they won. They get away with all of this. They probably couldn't even sustain, like, their own paradigm, you know? Mm-hmm. I noticed some parallels between this episode and the U.S. occupation of Iraq. <laughs> okay, there we are. I mean, a big thing about why... Uh, Iraq fell apart. It probably never would have worked. Not that it should have, because it was a bad thing to do. <laughs> I want to stress, I think the Iraq war was bad, and we shouldn't have invaded. But if you're gonna invade, <laughs> you might as well do it right. <laughs> and we also didn't do it right. <laughs> because a big thing we did after invading and removing Saddam is that we didn't impose uh, martial law and we didn't stop looting that was happening. We did protect all their oil reserves. Hmm. But we didn't protect, say, the National Museum of Iraq, (laughs) which was raided. And, you know, when, when you say looting, I think we have the very American idea of, like, whenever, you know some protest goes a certain direction and you see people breaking into like a, like a Best Buy or something like that. Right. You know, that's, that's the American image of looting. But if you want to talk about looting that happens when a country's government has been overthrown, (laughs) you're, what you're talking about is like construction workers taking construction equipment and dismantling infrastructure (laughs) and taking it, which is what happened. And we, for whatever reason, Donald Rumsfeld, did not declare martial law after invading Iraq and winning. We like after we had taken over the country, he did not do that. And then went on TV and joked around with reporters about the looting. Jesus. <laughs> you can find video of him being like, everyone's saying there's all this looting happening. I don't know what anyone's talking about. It's very Giuliani in front of that fucking gardening store. <laughs> like it's, it has the same energy. Oh my God. And it's like it being like I everyone's just showing the same picture of one guy stealing a vase, and then like you go and look and it's like fucking half of Baghdad was like completely destroyed by looting. <laughs> this is why like I call bullshit when you see people like kind of like rewriting history a little bit, being like you know not everyone knew the Iraq War was bad or like the invasion yeah. of the Middle East was bad, and it's like no people did. Uh, like t- to be honest, my mom took me to a protest. Yeah. That, when I was in middle school, you know, like people knew. Yeah. So fuck off. I was, I was just people didn't. It wasn't just that people knew it was bad. People knew we were going to war on a lie. Yeah. I want to stress that as someone who was, you know, I was a child then. But the adults in my life that were pro the Iraq war. They they their their reasoning for doing it was that it would probably be over very quickly. That was their main argument. <laughs> it was not weapons of mass destruction. It was like, they might have them, they might not. Either way, if we invade Iraq, it probably won't take too long. That's a Thanks, great attitude idiots. to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was... I don't know where this narrative has come from that, like... No one knew and no one cared. And it was like the biggest anti-war protests in American history happened. Like It was enough that Bush went from being like a guy who we were about to elect God Emperor to a guy that it came very close in the 2004 election, you know? 
Bush went from a guy who stole the election in 2000 and everyone knew it to a guy who had like a 95% approval rating and could do no wrong. And the Iraq war got him to a point where the country went from being united to divided. I think it's important to know that. The, the politics-heavy aspect of Lesson and Cora to bring it back down to earth a little bit. Um, <laughs> not too much more going on this season, but it is very front-loaded next season. And yeah, I'm excited a, to talk about that. Is table setting for the following season. Yeah, but here's the thing: it doesn't feel like it. Like it totally is its own narrative. Yeah, it's ah, I'm really excited to talk about the next season. But we'll Thank we'll get there. We'll get there. I am too. And well, I'm just saying that it's like it's not table setting in the way that like you usually use it as an insult. You know, like it's just like oh, you don't realize that they're setting up stuff. You just think this is like the end of the season playing out. Yeah. Well, there is one moment that's very there is, obvious. There's one very <laughs> underlying moment, but we yeah. will get to that. But I guess the question is like. Uh, how does it feel watching this now? How does it feel watching this episode where it's like the moment Law and Order goes away, everyone turns to looting? It feels too simple. Mm. It, it does feel a little too simple for me. Yeah, I I, I still love like... this season, and I, I think mm. this is a fantastic run of episodes we're talking about today. I, I think it is a little too... It's a, it's a writer's room version of like what could actually happen. And I don't need this to reflect reality a hundred percent, obviously. Right. Yeah. But, um, maybe it speaks more to just how fucked up bossing say was mm -hmm. than it does to like someone's actual perspective of like humanity. Cause we, we can get have... more into that too with the group settings. We have plenty of historic examples of when a leader dies or when a, government is overthrown that looting happens you know mm -hmm. this isn't like a made-up thing <laughs> no yeah 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 but, but i mean like considering weird... like what's happened in the last year since we started this this podcast yeah. that it's the, the version of looting that we see in this program versus what we've seen uh in cities across the country specifically yeah. um it's very different I mean, the, the antagonists are different in reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's almost like your, your question isn't unfair. I think it's a valid question. It's just it does get you thinking a little bit more about how we approach these things in fiction. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's important we ask if the show is biting off more than it can chew. Mm -hmm. Like, it is a children's show. Like, I, I believe in, you know, viewing it on like a, you know, curve like that of not trying to just be like this is right and this is wrong or like people who watch Steven Universe and take that shit way too seriously yeah. <laughs> and maybe oh Steven was nice to fascists so I have to be nice to fascists too yeah. well, it's no, not, not a show people... meant for five year olds yeah but also like a show where it's like people watch that show and go like the writers should be in prison for <laughs> saying that it's okay to forgive genocidal maniacs. And it's like, that's not what that show is saying. <laughs> like, that show, there's a lot going on on that show. That is not what the show is saying. <laughs> and, but Legend of Korra is much more overtly like, we are, we're talking about anarchy. <laughs> As like a legit 
as a legit form of government or lack thereof, you know, mm-hmm. like a political philosophy. Um, and it's just, it's, it's interesting. I don't know. Like, I just, I wonder if I have just gotten older or if the world has just gotten so fucked up. Like, I just wonder how I would, if I would view it differently, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I think it, it mostly works and I think it's interesting, but it's also like, I think when you start going in this territory, you kind of have to stop being a kid's show a little bit, you know? Yeah. Like at some point, you got to be a little more serious with what you're dealing with. And I don't know if this show can handle not being a kid's show, you know? like. Yeah, I, I think there's... At a certain point, it's very obvious that Nickelodeon was more of a, a restraint on this program. Not just because of the move to online that kind of, you know, took the wind out of the show's sales, like, publicly, but... Yeah. Just the subject matter and what you're allowed to do under the constraints of Nickelodeon programming, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you can only do so much with that. And, you know, that's not me throwing them a softball. I, I think that's something that has to be addressed. You're right. I, I think we, we have yeah. to acknowledge that. And uh, as, that doesn't mean not asking for more clarity on these kinds of stories either. Well, I'm just saying, like, with to bring it back to Steven Universe, it would be like if... St- the last season of Steven Universe suddenly became about the gold standard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, you suddenly bring in this very real-world thing, and, like, even if, you know, you try to be, like, both sides, it, you, like, it it pushes... It would push the show into a thing where then you have to start asking bigger questions, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I wonder if Legend of Korra kind of pushes it there. Um, and again, I, like, I... I it, it's, a, it's a little... I don't know. It's just, it's gotten weird to talk about kids shows lately. Yeah. <laughs> Especially online where like, it's now like everyone's kind of like, it's either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. It's either all morally good or all morally bad. And then it's like, you never know if you're wasting your time asking these questions, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you never, you never know when you're supposed to go like, it's a kid show. I shouldn't worry about it. And then when you're supposed to be like, now nah, maybe we should ask some questions about some of this, you know? Especially, like, there's a fucking shot in episode 11, I think, where they show the wall coming down. That's that's 10. 10, the, like, there's... We very clearly see the wall coming down. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've all been, got to a point where we are very much like, hey, walls are bad. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, walls being good or bad has become a very uh, telling of what your political beliefs are now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And this isn't a show that was... And this is a show where, like, the villains are literally saying, we want a world without kings or queens, and we want a world without borders, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's a very direct political statement. I don't know, it, it, it pushes things <laughs> in a direction. Where it's like, I, I think something that can kind of have its cake and eat it too, which might be a weird comparison, are the Song of Ice and Fire books. <laughs> because they, they were... Those books worked put a lot of effort into being like, look, everyone kind of has the mentality of like that medieval era, you know, like these, these are not characters with like a 21st century moral compass, right? Mm -hmm. They're very old school. So like, even when you're talking about like, well, who should sit on the throne? Who should do this? Who should blah, blah, blah. It's like, they don't have it in their worldview to be like, well, maybe democracy would be a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. 
you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, you can kind of be, like, a show where it's, like, you can criticize power institutions, but also have characters who are, like, reinforcing those institutions. Because the show is never, like, these people are right. Like, those books are never, like, these people are right and good, you know? Mm-hmm. They're, like, they're, those, they're very much, like, these people are products of their time and of their society. <laughs> Now, it says a lot when you make up that society from whole cloth. <laughs> but hey, you know, it at least kind of is honest about it. Whereas this, it's like a weird mix of like the, the this is a universe with emperors, with nomadic tribes, with kings, and with presidents. <laughs> Very much like the world we live in, honestly. Mm-hmm. But we, but they, we aren't on equal footing, you know. There, it's not like there is a king somewhere who has the same power as the president of the United States. Yeah, right? yeah. And we also have a lot of democracies in this con- in this world, which aren't real democracies. We happen to be living in one of them. But <laughs> I don't know. It gets. I like that the show gets you asking these questions. I just don't know if the show doesn't push it too far. And I think it's important that we ask that question. Mm. Well, I, I don't know how to specifically like uh, approach that like further, but I, I do think the show is, is smart enough to recognize where, like you brought up that the power is not on equal footing here. Like president Ryko is like the first president in the, in this world ever. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then the, the earth kingdom is very clearly like where the power is, has been held since the fall of the uh, the Fire Nation, right? Since it, mm-hmm. since it stopped being like a fire empire, or whatever, right? And uh, even then, arguably, it's where like power was held because they were able to hold off the armies of the Fire Nation, right? And Bossing Se never fell except for that one time with Azula, and so like it's never had to undergo a change that the rest of the world has had to either, you know. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, it's good that they didn't fall under like the full imperial might of the Fire Nation rule for that hundred years or whatever. I'm not saying that. But I I think that there is a lot going on in this show constantly, politically and philosophically, that it maybe doesn't always get credit for, like, The Last Airbender. Yeah. Like, I really do think that when Bossing Say falls, it's not like anarchy is bad. I, I think it's just that they're kind of lighting these powder kegs across the world, you know? Yeah. Like, all these, th- these things were, were fucked up and falling apart. Um, and we saw that through Korra struggles in the first two seasons, more or less, right? To varying degrees, and a little bit in this season, too, that she struggled to kind of deal with these problems because she's not allowing things change, in a way. I, I, except for the spirit world stuff. That's her big, like, step forward in the world, so to speak, right? Like, that's yeah, the first no one, active... And no like, one was to... happy with it. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it's a good counterpoint for Zaheer's team, like, anti-Avatar, I guess, yeah. to be, like, also instigating these changes. It's just uh, more immediately harmful, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's just a show that's trying to be more reflective of, like, modern society postmodern society just stuff like uh, this is where we're getting in the territory where i'm just not smart enough to talk about it mm. and this is why we talk about children's cartoons and adam sandler movies <laughs> um but it's like you know 
we we very quickly became a lot faster than we really think we became a world that is driven more by ideology than by you know the right to rule and kings and queens and shit like that and we've had we've it's it's crazy to think that ideology has driven the world to wars you know mm-hmm. like what we believe where it's like we think you know like i i agree that democracy is a good idea and there are people out there who don't and that has led to conflicts around the world mm. and these are very modern things and i think it's and it's also happened so quickly and it's all happening faster especially these days and I, again, it's just weird. Where, like, I don't know how much I want to give a children's show credit for being like trying to show what it's like to live in a world that's cha- that's going through that drastic of a change that quickly, where you're kind of you have the pressure of quote unquote keeping the balance. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I brought up the term before where it's like you know if you're a god and like the world has moved on for, from you. And, like, what do you do? Like, that's a conflict. That's kind of the central conflict of the show. And I don't know. It's just, it, I, think it, I, I think it ultimately works because it gets your brain working and it lets us to have long-winded conversations like this. Um, but I feel like someone could walk away from this also feeling 100% differently than I did. <laughs> and, we, and we would both be valid. Maybe that's the secret strength of the show. I like that. I got, I got nothing else... Yeah. For that subject. Uh, I do want to shout out that this episode also features Korra and Asami uh, uh, being gal pals and escaping yeah. from the Earth Queen's forces and then getting stuck in the desert with the Earth Queen's forces and having to work together to escape a giant fish monster thing. I like the air captain with the pirate hook. Yeah. That, that's and, uh, fun little character design stuff. Yeah, well, I just, like, if you want to talk about, like, what this show's really good at in terms of, like, small character stuff, is that, like, you enti- you can see, you learn this guy's, like, entire career just from how he acts in this, like, scene. And this is, like, the only moment he's on this show, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's like, well, you're our prisoners. And it's like, well, we kind of have to work together now. And he's like, I guess. Like, he's like, now we're going to wait until people get here. And then, like, once the threat arrives, he's like, he's a pragmatic guy. And it's like, you've learned that this guy's probably been through some shit. Mm-hmm. And had to deal with some things, and it's just it's that's that's the type of legwork that like a show of other like other contemporary shows didn't really do. How some shows for adults don't even put in that much effort, like sit down and be like, this guy has to feel like a person that has lived in this world for at least a little while. Yeah, I mean that's that's a real strength of of all these series in in the Avatar world, and not. Not that common. You're right. Uh, still, now, with some stuff I watch that yeah, I like. You even get with uh, Bolin and Mako when they're in prison. Their little neighbor in the prison. <laughs> it's a little bit of character to him. You can metal bend? No. I was like, oh, I was taken away from my family. I was. It was actually good for the beginning because I got some sleep, but then I realized I was away from my family. Yeah. Like, that's a weird little moment to just throw in the show. Also, after Zaire kills the Earth Queen, and then he's like, we're overthrowing the government, and then uh, Mako and Bolin are talking about having to stop him, their, their prison neighbor is like, you know that guy? He's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> right? And that, that just brings up even more, like, thought bubbles in your brain about, like, oh, yeah, like, maybe... I, I, don't, I don't know. There, there's, there's a lot going on in this world, and... Yeah. 
just because it's a fictional television program, we we don't get all the perspectives, you know? Yeah. That's always going to be kind of um. If there's any moment that sums up the show perfectly, I think, I think it's the fact that they fix the airship and then it's immediately destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sums up the vibe of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty good one. And then Cora's just the one dude at the wheel, just like, holy shit. <laughs> uh, Asami and Cora escape, and then that kind of leads us into the next episode as they meet Tonrock, Zuko, and Lin Beifong, who's tracked them down, and they all hear about the revolution going on at Ba Sing Se. Uh, oh, and Zaheer frees Mako and Bolin for them to give a Cora a message. and Classic villain stuff. Yeah. Like, I want you to send a message. Yeah, uh, but they they go back. They they steal an airship and they go back to rescue their family from the lower ring of Bossing Say, which is getting engulfed in flames. Uh, and I I think that's also like telling because Bossing Say is a tiered city for like the poor, the middle class, yeah. and the upper class. You know, and it's very obvious that like the the bottom ring has just gone to like Mad Max level apocalyptic standards. Yeah, you know. And that they're the ones suffering the most mm-hmm. from this supposed revolution that's supposed to help them. <laughs> yeah. Um, although then you get the moment where it's there's a there's a nice little moment where the grandmother's like, "I'm gonna we hate the Earth Queen, but like I'm gonna take that picture of the Earth Queen with me," and it's like the Earth Queen has been nothing but a villain. Like she is not sympathetic in any way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, now we're gonna hang out with a character that loves the Earth Queen. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it's like. Uh, this is all, like, she, she knew, you know? Like, I mean, she all, we also get the comment about, like, Mako and Bolin's grandmother. That's that's the home that she was raised in and raised her family in. And that, like, you know, like, at a certain point, like, if that's the only worldview you have, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to shake off that the Earth King was actually a horrible monster. And mm-hmm. she's not going to accept that, you know? She's, she's too old. I do like that Bolin tried to be like, you know... It- your home is doesn't matter where you live, it's where your family is. And then she's like, I'm still not leaving. And then they just have to, like, grab her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was sweet. And uh, that family stick, sticking around is, like, really funny, too. And then when mm-hmm. they all meet up at that oasis again, and oh, yeah. um, she mistakes Asami for Korra, and then she she's introduced to both Asami and Korra, and she's like, Mako, why aren't you dating nice girls like these? <laughs> Which is... Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> she have a great moment later. I can't remember if it's, if it's this episode or the next one where everyone's discussing what they're going to do in the moment of crisis. And then she just goes like, and I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, that's uh, this one, but that's pretty great. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a good moment. Yeah. Oh yeah. Chapter 11 is the ultimatum. And uh, yeah, so if we leave Boston say behind as it's falling apart and then, uh, Mako and Bolin, after reuniting with everyone, tell Korra that Zaheer is planning to kill the airbenders at the Northern Air Temple unless she surrenders to him because they're tired of chasing her around. And so Korra goes to the spirit world for guidance or to confront uh, Zaheer one last time, but he's yeah. not there. And then she runs into Iroh again. How do you feel about this? Because I, I kind of didn't need this. Um... I don't know. I think it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, uh, but that's the thing. It's like fine. I yeah. This show has been pretty good at doling out character stuff. I, I would have preferred is, is something this... else. When was the last time we saw Iroh? The last season. 
Book two. Yeah. I think you just needed that, like, a little reminder that, like, Iroh is living in the spirit world. So then when she mentions to Zuko that she talked to him, you can have that little moment. Because I think that's a good moment. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the I like moment that between Korra and Zuko is good. But I think maybe they should just been, like... Korra's like, I have to seek advice from the spirit world. <laughs> Instead of being like, I'm going to go there to kick his ass. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think maybe she should have gone there knowing she was going to talk to him. Because like, I, I think that she's right where she's like, look, I don't have any of the past avatars to talk to to help. I, you knew the avatar. <laughs> yeah, that that makes yeah. sense, yeah. So, and I think she could be, like, he could be like, well, I knew the avatar, but really Zuko knew him better, and then that can lead you to Zuko, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, all right. Like, I don't dislike it. I just, I've always felt weird about this one for some reason. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Zuko and Korra moment's nice. I will say, uh, Bruce Davison's a weird casting. <laughs> Still, for, uh, yeah. Fire yeah. Lord Zuko. But when they're talking, and then she admits that she spoke to uh, Uncle Iroh, and he's like, you spoke to my uncle? And, like, he suddenly, like, you can sense, like, the young person Zuko used to be. Yeah, that delivery. That's pretty great. No, it's totally. Like, second, yeah. <laughs> like he totally nailed that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that gets you right, like in the heart. Yeah, yeah. It's a very touching little, like, oh yeah, humanity. They're able to go warn the uh, the the air temple uh, by traveling back to the metal clan. You no, know, Uncle Iroh could have reached out to Zuko at some point. Maybe he's just chilling. He knows I, uh, Zuko has to live his life. I guess, know? but, you know. Yeah. But they go to the Metal Clan and use the radio to contact Tenzin. Uh, but they're too late. The Red Lotus is already there, and they they fuck everything up. Like, they just wreck the temple. Yeah, there's, uh, this is where the show kind of just goes, like, full-on action. And the next two episodes are just, like, terrific action scene after terrific action scene. I gotta be honest. This, the next one is, and I think it's terrific. And there's some, there's a quick like couple gut punches where you think like, oh, these characters might bite the dust now that we've seen that they're capable of killing people off in this show again. Uh, and they, they, they really don't, except for the next one and Enter the Void, um, which I guess we can kind of just jump to because Tenzin gets fucked up really bad, and there's yeah. a cutaway that makes it look like he might not come back <laughs> well, yeah well i think the earth queen dying kind of suddenly makes you like oh people can die now <laughs> like yeah even though people have died on the show before it's just like oh no now uh people who aren't like explicitly like try like they don't die like by their own hand in some way you know mm-hmm. they're it's just like oh like they'll they're gonna kill someone <laughs> yeah well um kai the little airbending aladdin boy gets blown out of the sky and he just falls, and there's no cutaway to like him landing on a branch immediately. Yeah. We just cut to him at the end of the episode, so it's like, oh no! You and then Tenzin for a few minutes thinking they might have killed that fucking kid. Yeah, which is like <laughs> in- insane. But then Tenzin has a moment where he's getting like wrecked by the entire Red Lotus clan, and then he's like, as long as I have, uh, as long as I draw breath, like you won't stop me or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, no, dude, didn't you see it last yeah, that's, episode? That's the last thing to say right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I got scared the first time I saw that. I was like, dude, shut up. No. Yeah, it's true. And, and he, he's, he's fine. Well, no, he's not fine. He's he, he does, he's out of commission for the rest of the season, basically. But I will say, uh, if you want to talk about sound design, too, the sound that she makes when she does the combustion bending from her mind, you know, that, that sound when she's, like, firing shit is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like 
powerful. Yeah. It honestly feels like a gun going off, which is, I think, a scary sound. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see, I don't want to skip over anything either, but yeah, the the end of the ultimatum is just kind of like action, action, action. Oh, and uh, Tenzin and his siblings kind of working in tandem. Yeah. It's really nice to see like how far they've all come together. Um, of course, they also get their asses beaten too, which is like scary because I like those yeah, characters yeah. a lot. I will say I did the we got to talk. I guess Zuko's advice where he was like, she's like, what would Aang do in a situation like this? And then Zuko's like, well, Aang maybe would sacrifice himself for the air because like bringing back the Air Nation was like his one dream and the one thing he basically didn't accomplish in his life. And so it's like, you know, he might sacrifice himself for that, but he also, Aang had a good understanding of his place as the Avatar, and that, like, he had to be there for the world. Um, I feel like maybe there's a beat missing here, because um, Korra's like, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for all this, but, like, I, I, I can't remember. Does she know what the Red Lotus is ultimately planning? Like, they keep talking about, like, we're going to make a world without the Avatar. Like, that's what they keep talking about. Mm-hmm. But, like, does she know what they really mean by that? Like, No, I, at this point, no one knows that. They just know that uh, they want to kill Korra. Yeah. That's that's it. But they don't know that, um, Okay. like, they're, they're planning to end the line. Or how they plan yeah. to end the line or anything like that. Because I felt like if Korra understood that, she would have had a moment where she was like, Look, if they capture me, someone has to kill me before I go into the Avatar state. Right? I, I think Korra has a, enough of an understanding... From her perspective, I'm not saying I even fully agree with her decision, but, like, that bringing back the Air Nation was such, like, a huge deal to the world that she might think that the Air Nation is more needed than her now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is, like, kind of a sad thought for someone to have, yeah. you know? Uh, which the show we'll get it for carries about... carries to the end here. We'll talk about that. Yeah, but... yeah. Well, we're talking about a world that maybe is like, you know, she's wrestling with has, has the world moved on from the Avatar. It's like, if that's true, then it's like, yeah, maybe she should make the ultimate sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You know, because now the airbenders are back. Now balance has actually returned. And it's interesting where, like, you could totally read the show, like this season specifically, where it's like, from the point of view of Zaire as, like, the hero of this season. Yeah. You know? Like, it totally fits, <laughs> which is crazy. I don't think there's too many other kid shows that do it like that. You yeah, know? no. And I, I mean, I think that's why he's such an effective villain, too. Yeah. You know? I just think it's so stupid where it's, like, what's considered... Like, I, I think I brought up Thanos last time, too, where it's, like, people consider Thanos, like, a really good villain. It's like, no, Josh Brolin just fucking rocks. Yeah, Josh Brolin gets a good performance, but it's like, also, it's like, what? nothing he says ever makes any fucking sense. Mm. Like, and and we never know if it's not supposed to make sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, well, like, even, like, from his introduction, which is, like, it has presence and he's, like, a, a scary, like, beast, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but then his ideology is all over the place because he's, like, monologuing about, like, balance and stuff. And then... He starts beating on the Hulk, and then his henchmen are like, no, let him have his fun. So it's like, is he, like, a demigod who thinks he's above it? Or is he, like, a psychopath? And yeah. they never... they I never feel that they know which one he is, you know? Yeah. And they never pick a lane. Like, they never figure out what the fuck to do, you know? Yeah. Like, they should have just made him fucking horny for death again. Yeah. Make him horny. You know what? If you don't want to do death, 
just bring back Kate Blanchett from Thor Ragnarok. Have him be horny for her. That's relatable. Yeah. That might be. I might cut that joke, but you know. No, no, no. It's it 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 it's it makes sense what you're saying, like even your stupid joke. But thank you. Yeah, I don't know. It's it just feels like that. It would have been much more simple to be like this guy. He's this is what happens when you give godlike powers to someone like that. You know, which is basically what the Infinity Gauntlet's about. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm not saying you have to do the Infinity Gauntlet story exactly, but it's a. If you're gonna tell a different story, maybe try and tell a more interesting one. <laughs> if you're gonna tell a story about collecting power stones, you might want to tell a story relating to the balances of power and how power is inherently imbalanced in worlds. You know. Yeah. And how that's a dangerous thing, power, and yeah. how no one man should have all that power. You get what I'm getting at? It's not that yeah. complicated. Yeah. But then we might have to... And then maybe we might realize Tony Stark was actually a bad guy. Yeah. Well, but, no, no. See, he's a good guy because he, he didn't sacrifice his daughter for everyone else's kids. And so he brought everyone else back and mentally and psychologically and ecologically damaged the world around him. So that makes him a I hero. Have, I have no idea what happens at the end of that movie. They're like, time terrorists. Yeah, but, you know, whatever, like, they, they set up that, like, they, they very explicitly go, time traveling has no consequences. <laughs> and I'm like, alright, fine, if that's what you want to do. Like, that's that's fine. But then it's like, when Tony Stark says, I am Iron Man, and snaps fingers, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. Well, he said it moment. at the end of his first movie. I know. Like, I know that that's, like, the snarky thing to say. But, like, they had to have been thinking something. Well... Uh, Tony, I mean, Tony Stark. Robert Downey Jr. is the one that came up with that line. Because they, they had, like, nothing at the end. He just snapped his fingers. That's funny. Yeah. Well, so thank you, Robert Downey Jr., for trying. <laughs> yeah, for at least putting in some effort. Yeah. Like, I know everyone says he kind of sleepwalks through the role, but, like, I, I've always thought he's very good. Yeah. And no, then, he's, like, he, he, he's totally good. He just makes his charisma look effortless. Yeah. But as a guy who's, like... I don't know if you want to end a story about a self-destructive guy by saying the best thing he did was kill himself. Yeah, I hate that. <laughs> I think that I think that's a problem. <laughs> I don't know about yeah. anyone else out there. No, I I'm on record. I I hate that decision. I hate the the time travel bullshit. I hate that it's framed heroically that they don't undo the snap like it's not a natural disaster event. It's something inherently unnatural. Wouldn't you want to undo that? I don't... Ugh, it's so fucking stupid. It's, like, psychotic wait. to me. Wait, wait. So you think that what they should have done was just, like, when they got the stones, they should have stopped Thanos from doing the snap? Yes. Um... I think this is the one time where it's like, we can't let the stakes stick because of the damage it would cause to, like, the world around them and the people around them that they're trying to protect. Like, this uh, is the yeah, one time also, you can do that. <laughs> I also don't think anything's defined enough for me to, like, feel that way. I, yeah, I mean, th those movies are so bad at, like, setting up the actual worlds around them that maybe you're probably right. But, like, it's just... It's so awful. Like, all these Netflix shows are about the fallout about the snap. And yeah. it's like, <laughs> wouldn't I mean, that be... be a bad thing then? Mm. You know? Yeah, like... I don't know. Um, 
thing, I mean, thing, uh, the, the, the thing I come away thinking about that you're not supposed to, because you're really not supposed to ask this question, is I'm like, well, if you snap your fingers and you're just like, everyone comes back, do they come back where they were last? Because the Earth is constantly in motion mm-hmm. around the sun, and then our sun is in motion in the universe, so the, 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 they all just appear in space where the Earth was when the snap happened. Uh-huh. Well, how does that relate to other people's planets? Because there's yeah. aliens in this universe, you know? Like, I, I totally thought about that, too. And, like... Also, <laughs> you, you snap and you go, like, all right, I snap, half of all life is gone, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, trees are alive. Like, that's life. <laughs> so did we lose half the trees? <laughs> like, See, that, that would have be... been awesome. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. But it's also like, but, you know, it's if Thanos does that, where it's like, all right, I snap, half life is, ha- all, half of all life is gone, because I, I snap my fingers. And I did that to protect resources. And it's like, there's tons of resources we get through, like, biology and living things. Like, do you know how medicine is made? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's, you know, you, you, yeah, maybe now we're not using oil as much i guess (laughs) but there are also oil is from dead animals you know like that's dinosaurs and shit (laughs) does it have any effect on oil (laughs) and then the only line we get in the movie is steve rogers says you know the whales are coming back like when he's trying to be like maybe we should just accept the world as it is post snap and it's like, why would the whales come back? Yeah, like, like, wouldn't there be more of them gone still? Yeah, wouldn't we have, wouldn't he have cut in half the whale population that was already in trouble? <laughs> like, yeah, like, they didn't think about that. I, I genuinely believe we've, we've spent more time talking about this movie than they did thinking about it. Yeah, and I almost want to think that, like, you could have done something where it's like, well, Thanos is from, like, an alien planet, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe when you're, like, an intergalactic civilization that can, like, terraform planets and shit, maybe cutting the population in half does make more sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, let's just... I'm, I'm making a big leap here. <laughs> let's just assume. And then you have this interesting thing that's like, well, he's doing this to protect, you know, essentially, quote-unquote, like, upper, more advanced, quote-unquote, civilizations. But then a planet like Earth, which is still kind of stuck with just the Earth, is, like, devastated by what Thanos is doing, right? Mm-hmm. So then, it, for him, it's like, well, what I'm doing will ultimately help the galaxy, but it will hurt planets like the Earth, right? Yeah, that's a good idea. There's, there's a dilemma I mean, the story, right there. The story, not the, not the, <laughs> the action. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, there's, there's an issue right there. And you could have explained it in, like, two lines of dialogue. <laughs> like, that's not that complicated. <laughs> and instead, you come away from it, and then you don't know... Like, if we spend as much time talking about trying to figure out what the fuck Zack Snyder's politics are <laughs> in his fucking movies, like, what the fuck do the Russos think? Like, it's all just strange. I think they're the flip <laughs> coin to the uh, to the J.J. Abrams equation, you know? Where it's like, well, he just wants to please everyone. That's his problem. Mm-hmm. And I think they're kind of similar. I think that, yeah, J.J. Abrams wants to please everyone. But they are, I think them and the Marvel formula in general is very much about, like, we want everyone 
to know exactly what's happening at all times, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't want anyone sitting there confused. I was thinking about this recently with, uh, you, know, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, 2. At the end, Yondu sacrifices himself, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so he, and he has that line where he's like, uh, he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you don't need that line. Like, Yandu could have sacrificed himself. And then, cause even then, Quill gives a speech later where he's like, Yandu was my real father. It's basically what his speech is saying. But you don't even need that, right? Mm-hmm. Through, through just the images alone, you can totally get like, okay, Kurt Russell was his biological father, but wasn't his dad. And Yandu was his adoptive father, but was more of a father to him, you know? Yeah. You can totally do all that. But if you don't have the characters saying it... 3% of the audience might be confused. <laughs> and these movies put a lot of effort into making sure no one walks away confused. In terms of the story. Mm-hmm. You know? Where you can tell, like, you understand why A, B, C happens. And I think they're very good, quote, at that. <laughs> but in doing so, they make bad movies. <laughs> You know? Yeah, yeah. Because, like, that's not what cinema is, like, about. You know? Like, there's... It's about letting without, the images and the sound express something. Without spoiling it, there's... I think... You need to... Everyone needs to watch Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> and that end when they do the slow zoom in on... Uh, what's his name's face? Um, oh, God. Uh, Death Wish guy. Charles Bronson? Uh, Bronson's face, because Bronson could never really act very well, but you just do the zoom in on his face, and then just visually you learn what his connection is with Fonda, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you learn it. Oh, wait, who? that's not who that is. Who's in that? Fuck. I just fucked something up. Yeah. So, hold on. Hold on. I just want to make sure that was... Oh, it was Fonda. All right. For some reason, I thought it wasn't Henry Fonda. Um. You suddenly realize what the connection is, and it's all told visually, and there's no dialogue, and it's like the harmonica's there, and like you you, you figure it all out, blah, blah. And then that's... The, the Marvel version of that would be everyone screaming exactly what we're watching as it's happening. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I think if we're talking about biting off more than you can chew, I think those guys bit off more than they can chew, and they're like, we're going to have a villain who's going to kill half the universe. Yeah. And they just didn't know how to deal with that. I mean, I, hey, I, it, it's honestly already making me think better about Korra, where it's a show that, like, we're not going to give you easy answers mm-hmm. any of this. Where the Russos, in trying to give easy answers, make it more fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> where it's like, you, you sh- there shouldn't be an easy answer to this. But, you know, you talk about, like, visual storytelling. I think this episode, because it's all, it's all pretty much action. It's it's the exchange for Korra for the Airbenders. Then uh, Tenzin, Asami, Mako, and Bolin realize that the Airbenders are not there. They've been moved, and it's like a showdown in the temple. But the temple starts turning into lava because Kazan, the the lava bender, is fucking shit up again, and it becomes like a race to escape. Meanwhile, Korra, the metal benders, and her father are in a showdown with Zahir and Pali, the uh, the, the the combustion bender lady. And it's just, like, shit's happening all over the place. But you never, like... It's never too much. And then there's the moment, of course, when Pali, like, 
gets her head fucking blown off, which yeah, is they like blow her head off. Uh, um, and, well, and they don't show it. They don't they show it. They could not get away with that. No, but no. You, you know exactly what happened. Yeah, you know exactly what happened because you see the the metal wrap around her head. Um, I still feel like we might be seeing. There must be a darker version of this because, like, they you can tell there's an edit there. Yeah, because it's know? from the it's the light erupting from from within the the metal mask, and then the cut and like swooshing camera passes it here as he calls out to her, and we see like the smoke cloud in the distance. Yeah, there's like one or two things missing right there. There's something missing there, and it it and... always bothered me. But then I rewatched it this time, and I was so into it that it just felt smooth. Like I, yeah, you can I still it's... see it, but it's yeah. not like a problem, you know. I think it's fine, and I think the slow zoom in kind of makes up for like the fact that they know they couldn't show all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just feel like they're like there's on a cutting room floor somewhere. Pylee um, and Zaheer are shared like a really tender moment before she her head explodes. <laughs> yeah, um, which is kind of like when I first saw it, I was like, are they going to start killing them off too? Mm-hmm. Like I kind of got the feeling, and you know they they do kill her off, but like I don't know in a live action thing, I think it would be more obvious that she would die. And this isn't even a problem; it's just something I think about, like mm-hmm. the visual language between like live action and animation, because animation is presumably more for children, and this show specifically is more for children. Mm-hmm. I don't know; it's just some weird detail I, I thought about rewatching this. This is a show where a woman's head explodes, and also it ends with a guy shoving a sock in the villain's mouth, and then saying, put a sock in it. Oh, yeah. That happens within, so, like, 30 minutes of each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you want to know what type of show this is? Yeah. Um, uh, oh, but I, I want to say that the, the relationship between Lin and Suyin, the, the Beifong sisters, uh, was really touching, and it did kind of look like maybe Lin wouldn't get out of there for a second. So that was nice that Suyin got to be the one to take out Pali and yeah, uh, blow her head off. Yeah. Uh, but also, I just think that, like I said, there's like talking about like Zahir may, maybe being like the inverted hero of the story where it's like he's like the he's like anti team avatar mm-hmm. <laughs> and or more more like more team anti avatar, I guess, would be the better phrasing. Yeah. Because, like, it's like they've been on this, they're, like, friends on their own adventure. And there's even, like, that scene where they're in the back of uh, Bolin and Maka on the back of the truck. And he's like, oh, I think you guys have, like, unspoken love between each other. Well, uh, and there's, like, a joke made about it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's exactly what, you know, Aang and the gang was going through on their adventure. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's so interesting that they, because they're, they're making these parallels very clear. I mean, so he straight up shaves his head. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big thing in this, is the shaving of the head. And so it's like, to be more like Aang, so it's like he's, it's like she's fighting Aang in a weird way. And instead of reaching the Avatar state, he reaches enlightenment with his airbending abilities and learns to fly. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like a cool evolution. Because, you know, we got to see all the element bending have their own, like, like their peak and then air finally gets its own, which we haven't seen a lot of because, you know, Aang was the only one for a while. And so it's, it's neat that it's just like, oh, yeah, that's where we're taking this now. <laughs> that is possible. <laughs> uh, oh, and shout out to uh, Zelda Williams, who makes her first appearance as metal oh, yes. bending captain Kuvira, who saves Korra's father because Korra sees her father get tossed off the side of the cliff, thinks he's dead. Uh, and then we What's get a nice moment. Name? Yeah, we got this little moment where she's like, she my, you can call me. And says, 
She looks off in the distance and sees the ghosts of Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, and then says Ray Skywalker. No. <laughs> no, but her name, Kuvira, is underlined. And yes. it's like, huh, it's, I wonder if that's going to be important later. It's <laughs> yeah. a little, uh, that's interesting. That's like the one time the show makes it, like, painfully obvious where it's going. Yeah, but to be fair, we don't know if, like, that means she's going to be a villain or if she's just going to be on Team Avatar next season, you know? Yeah, really yeah. Know. No, no, we don't, but, like, she I, She is uh, dressed uh, very militaristically, but uh, <laughs> she looks like she's looking for a fight. But she also <laughs> saved someone. Yeah, So she you must know? be a good person. Yeah, but I will say, when I first saw this, I was like, oh, is she going to betray them? She's going to be a secret also, member of the Red Lotus? And no, she's not. Also, because it's Zelda Williams, it's like, oh, they gave Zelda Williams a cameo. You know, you could totally write it off as that. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, you know, she must have been a fan. Like, that's happened before. Yeah. And but it's, like, it is weird that it's so underlined. Yeah, well, they've never done that where it's... they they So far in the show, they have not had the villain from one season appear in the next season. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, why would you say that? That's weird. That's not related to this at all. Oh, hey, wait, wait, wait. Chapter 13, Venom of the Red Lotus. This is the season finale. It's a big one. It was released online at the same time as Enter the Void, the previous episode. Mm. And we I'm immediate... guessing these were meant to be aired together. Yeah, like, that, that feels that, that's at least the vibe you get. Yeah, because we end the last episode. Oh, I forgot to bring this up. And we end the last episode was here escaping with Korra as he's flying away. And um, oh, also and we, the last episode Bolin... was called "Enter the Void." Yeah, I just said that. Just like that movie. Oh. <laughs> I don't have enough time to start. I, I was going to make that. a joke that the episode was directed by that guy, and I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> Gaspar Noe. Yeah. I don't... Look, here's, here's a tangent. I love the cinematographer he works with. He's worked with mm. Harmony Korine on his last two films. I love the look of his films. I cannot stand Gaspar Noe films, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I can't blame you. Yeah. Um, Gaspar Noe's in that, uh, that you know... Uh, I couldn't... Now I can't think of fucking... What's his name who did? Dogville. Um, uh, Lars von Trier. Yeah, Lars von Trier were like their thing. It's like we want you to hate my movie. Yeah, you know. And yeah, but so like well, I, I, I like that cinematographer a lot. So I'll always yeah. put up with Gaspar Noé films. Mm. I like the, Enter the Void. I thought was pretty interesting, but that was about it. Mm. Everyone who told me to watch Irreversible when I was in college, I hope you're you're having a bad time right now. <laughs> Don't worry, we're all having a bad time right now. I did not need to see Irreversible. Um, but we end the last episode with Bolin discovering that he cannot metal bend, but he can lava bend, which is a neat little addition. And uh, Zaheer escapes with Korra, and uh, she wakes up trapped in a Red Lotus prison, and they're going to poison her until she her she enters into the Avatar state as like a defense mechanism, so they can kill her in the Avatar state and end the Avatar line once and for all. Which is kind that, of a... That's a big villain plan. That's a big villain plan. And I have to say that I, I was distracted a little bit because I read a quote from Gaspar Noe while you were talking. No. A quote that I cannot repeat here. Okay, and it is yeah. maybe one of the worst quotes I have ever read from a living director. Yeah. So. Uh, Don't bother hey. with him. Yeah. It's somehow worse than when Lars von Trier said he was a Nazi at the Cannes Film Festival. What? <laughs> Yeah, he, I know he, he said the, he understood Hitler. He, he he gave a speech after uh, Melancholy, I think, where he was like, 
I think he was trying to make a point, <laughs> but uh, you know how he is. Yeah. And he was like, I realized I was a Nazi. And so, like, he said something awkward like that. And uh, he was banned from the Cannes Film Festival for a few years. Yeah, so, yeah, so. That, that sounds about right. Oh, Antichrist, Melancholia, and Nymphomaniac are part of his Depression trilogy. Oh, it's it's only a trilogy? But I thought he made more films than that. Yeah. Haha. Uh, <laughs> about that house that Jack built. I haven't seen that. I think I'm going to avoid that one. Yeah, you don't need to. No, okay, I figured. Sorry, I like Melancholia and uh, Antichrist, though. I will say that the, villain, the, the, the titular Jack from the house that Jack built, who is a serial killer, he is talking uh, to a guy... I think he just keeps calling Verge the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, halfway through who Verge was, and I was so angry. <laughs> oh. I feel like you're going to have to explain that more another time. I'll whisper it so the other people don't hear. Okay. It, it's Virgil from fucking, uh, from the Divine Comedy. Mm. Who goes, he's the guy, who, you know, he was the writer, the ancient Greek or ancient Roman writer um, who travels with Dante in the Divine Comedy through Hell. Like, oh, he's in Hell and he's with Virgil. That's who he's talking to. I have flames. <laughs> flames on the side of my face. IndieWire gave the house to Jack built an A-. But we see Korra confronted with her literal demons, the, the, the villains from the previous seasons, they're all kind of coming to like mock her, and it's like, you know, it's it's in her head, but it's also like, it it's what she believes that, mm-hmm. um, like her her journey's not been like super fulfilling, you know, it's just been a lot of struggle and hardships, and like she has people that care about her, but it's like, how much can that sustain her if she's not really believing in herself anymore, you know, like there's the she's kind of. She's kind of trapped in this cycle of just causing problems for people. Or so she believes. Because it's just, it's just pretty, like, fucking dark and, like, depressing. Yeah, it's a pretty dark uh, climax. Yeah, and, and they, uh, they put lot... the... It's like mercury. They they mercury poison her, yeah, basically. Yeah, it's... It looks... It's it's tough. Disgusting and painful. Yeah. And awful. Ugh. She gets tortured a lot on this show. Yeah, like, at some point... I, I'm not, like, judging the writers of the show. I'm just, like... It's pretty. It's pretty harsh. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty like lean. Like if I had kids, uh, I'd be pretty lenient with what they watch. But maybe, maybe this one's not for those younglings. You know, not mm-hmm. the super younglings. It's just a little heavy with the imagery. Sometimes that's all. My dad showed me the drug overdose in Pulp Fiction when I was five, and I turned out fine. Yeah. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> That's why I'm on this fucking podcast. <laughs> Goddamn children's cartoon show. Yeah. Um, but we do get to catch up with the Airbenders, and uh, oh, Kai, Kai gets to uh, who is alive, leads yeah, the rest yeah. of the team. I forgot to bring this up. He leads the rest of the team to where Zaheer and the Red Lotus members are keeping the rest of the Airbenders, so they can also save Korra. And it's this great like culmination of all the relationships. And character dynamics and and the world building, like it, it all just comes to a head right here. We see all these things develop to a climax, and everyone working together to save Korra and the Airbenders, 
And it's like Korra doesn't see all the good she's done. She just sees the failure, you know, and like mm-hmm. the struggle. But it's like right, literally right outside her worldview. It's like right there, right next to her in the next room over. And I think that's what adds like a certain layer of sadness to this episode. You know, like she just can't see it. And I, I, I know I just keep saying that, but there's a real sadness to that, you know? Yeah. Like she's she's lost in the woods, so to speak. And then also we just get some like crazy throwdowns with lava bending. Uh, Mako kills a woman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he kills the water bending woman. <laughs> Although it's it's kind of like she. Did, uh, no, I guess I guess you're right. He killed her. He straight up just killed her. Yeah. Um, I thought there was maybe more going on there, but then I'm like, yeah, no, he, he lightning bends the water. I mean that that's a pretty great like little. Mm-hmm fight and moment when he lands in the water and it's immediately like an oh shit moment you know Mm -hmm. but yeah he takes her out like okay maybe she didn't die from the lightning bending but (laughs) like what are the chances of that and then uh gazan uh is like i'm not going back to prison (laughs) because that's what all (laughs) these fucking people have to say and then uh he lava bends the cave in on itself while Korra escapes and breaks free in the Avatar state, and her and Zaheer just go into like a Man of Steel style showdown. Mm. <laughs> and I, I, I say Man of Steel because I did, this was prior to the Snyder Cut watch for the first time. And so I did rewatch Man of Steel, and I did get heavy Man of Steel vibes from the finale, but so much better directed and yeah, so well, much I, less I headache say- inducing. We're recording. This is the recording we're doing after we did the uh, Snyder cut recording, um, and I talked about like I can't think of the last time I really enjoyed like superhero action, like action that was specifically involving superheroes using superpowers. This gets pretty close. Yeah. Like I think there's a little bit held against it because it's fantasy and it's animated. So, but like the action here is pretty terrific. <laughs> No, it's they're like flipping through the sky and you never lose track of anyone, but they'll have like such power, they're like crashing through like these these cliffs and these ravines. Mm-hmm. And it's like how they use the environment around them and Korra is just like not even human. Like it's a completely primal instinct that's keeping her alive. Mm-hmm. And it's also the thing that's killing her, and it's like this great dichotomy between like it's her literal in, like inner struggle that's keeping her alive and also suffocating the life from inside of her <laughs> like yes. it's nuts it's crazy it uh, some dark shit in this yeah. last episode yeah and i really love that all uh, janora kind of guides the airbenders to save cora like it's it's again it's that thing that cora doesn't see like the good she's done but it ends up being the thing that saves her but it's not enough to have her fully snap out of it because she's so poisoned and here's where i have one little like fan complaint i don't even think it's like a, a genuine complaint it's just like here's what i would have done mm-hmm. when Su yin ends up metal bending the poison out of Korra, mm-hmm. i think it should have been bolin to metal bend it out of Korra, where that's the moment where he can finally metal bend maybe but it's funnier that bolin can't metal bend. <laughs> it, it, it is but like i don't know i think that would have been really touching is all. Yeah. He doesn't need to. There's there's enough going on with him where he doesn't need that, but I would have liked it. That that's uh, th- I did like the prison moment of him failing to metal bend. 
Yeah. <laughs> Again, Mako sucks trying to give him inspiration. <laughs> so. But Mako sucks a little less by the end of this, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he still kills a woman, but. <laughs> yeah. Like, even as a hero, he can't, like, fully not suck. I guess suck. he's a real lady killer now. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like someone in the writer's room had to have said that. Probably. I would love to ask someone about that. Oh, yeah, and then Bullen puts a sock in Zaheer's mouth because he puts a sock in it. And then Opal <laughs> says, classic Bullen. Yep. That's the type of show we're dealing with, folks. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's not worth the discussions, we, the avenues we go now. No, I love it. Since, especially since neither of us no, don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but like, I love that. I'm Wait, sorry. Did I just say? Did I just say neither of us don't know what we're talking about? Yeah, but I didn't want to correct you. You caught me and let me get away with it. Yeah, I don't believe you. I'm no cop. I'm not either, but I would. I'm definitely a guy who makes fun of his friends when they fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but grammar. What is grammar? All words are made up. What are words? <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, what are words if not language persisting? Anyway, words, so we... <laughs> words are Gryffindor. No. Grammar oh no. Okay. <laughs> so we cut ahead in time. <laughs> Two weeks later, back in Republic City, and Cora has survived her attack, uh, but she's now wheelchair-bound, and Asami has to help her kind of prepare for uh, Jinora's airbending master coronation. Mm-hmm. And it's very sad to see her this way. She's clearly not well. They give I'm her, like, bags under they, her eyes. I'm glad they did it, though, because I think it's important to show, like, hey... Sometimes you can get beat up to a point that you need to be in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Th- I think this leads to, like, some of the best material in the show. And even just, like, without, like... Because c- sometimes it does feel like I can cop out. Like, no, no, no. This is good later. Like, I think it's good here now. Because yeah. the whole entire season is about change. And, you know, she doesn't exactly start the season on the top of the world either. But she, she has to undergo this, so to speak, you know? You know who is strangely good at showing that, like, if your body gets injured even slightly, it can follow you the rest of your life? Shane Black. No, Stephen King. Oh. (laughs) Stephen King, like, did that in a way that, like, a lot of other people never really did. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. Where it's, like, fucking walking in in, uh, the dead zone, like, has a cane for the rest of his life. (laughs) And the movie's, like, very explicit about that, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like he recovers and then he's back to being his healthy self. It's like, oh, no, yeah. you're going to have these problems forever now, which is what happens. Yeah, and the last we see of Korra in this season is in the wheelchair, and everyone kind of <laughs> welcomes her back to Republic City. Even President Raiko um, takes off his uh, his exile of her, and he's like, welcome back to the city. Thanks for stopping the terrorists. And then he's like, she doesn't look good. Like, everyone just kind of, he's, he's the one that says it bluntly because he's an asshole, but everyone else is like, no, no, she'll, she'll, she'll get back. She'll, she'll get there. It's a real, uh, it's a real downer of an ending. Oh, like, totally. It real... so is. Well, it's also, it's, it's a weird, like, it's like almost bittersweet because it's like Janora gets, goes through her initiation where she gets her head shaved. Um, and it's kind of like this moment where it's like, maybe 
Korra really is done now. Yeah, you know, I, that's what I was saving for the end of this. But perfect. Yeah, yeah I, I love that little nugget of an idea. Like, really quick, I also want to say that um, Tenzin's kids are very supportive of her, though, and I really like that. And yeah. uh, Tenzin has a moment when they're while the adults are talking, like, what do we do if there's, like, more Red Lotus members out there that can, like, do more harm? Like, the, the Earth Kingdom is, like, in, like, in complete disarray. Mm -hmm. And he just has this moment to himself where he realizes, like, the airbending nation has to be nomadic again in order to kind of keep the peace around. So they, they do kind of become, like, Jedi at the mm -hmm. end of this, which I really yeah, like. definitely, definitely. Thank God those Jedi never screwed up. Hey, hey, not a perfect <laughs> system. No one said that. <laughs> um, and yeah, the the end when Janora gets her head shaved and her airbending master tattoos, and it's this beautiful thing of like, oh wow, the, the air nation's back, like balance is, is coming back to the world in, in a new different way. And then everyone's clapping and excited, and then you know the last frame of the season is just Korra in the wheelchair and a, and a teardrop falling off her face you know like mm -hmm. yeah maybe if anything she was too good at her job because now she feels like she doesn't have to be there anymore yeah i think the biggest crime her and ang committed was that they were too good at being the avatar yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's, this is an incredible season of television that ending kills me every time i watch it honestly mm -hmm. uh it's, it's a real tearjerker and uh yeah I will I will fight people over this season of television, quite frankly. Does anyone really not like this? Like, I feel like any criticism that the show really gets are like the first two seasons. You know? uh, I think there there's pockets of the fandom I've seen that are like, no, it, it, none of it's worth it because yeah. of the first two. And it's like, no, you just don't mm -hmm. understand how to talk about things. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I, I love That's, this so much. Again, I just think it's weird of being like, yeah, I'm a fan of uh, Avatar. I hate 50% of it. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> I mean, like, that's, that's uh, you know, I understand. Like, that's, it can get complicated with if you're a fan of something because, like, you know, with Star Wars, there's just so much expanded universe shit that you just don't have time for. But I also, like, when I was really deep in the Star Wars, it wasn't like I hated most of the expanded universe. I just didn't read most of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I feel like if I did read it, I probably wouldn't be a Star Wars fan. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's a little weird when people are like, yeah, I'm a huge fan. I hate most of it. <laughs> like, at some point, you go like, well, maybe you aren't a fan. Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe, you should, maybe you should move on to other things. Not There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to like some of some things, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, I like a few Marvel films. That doesn't mean I'm an MCU fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I will say, like, we're talking about, like, maybe some of the more iffier politics side of this show. Yeah. I'm going to go on a limb and say that the sh videos online that criticize the show do not get into those topics. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I just want to say that this did also remind me of kind of a Dark Knight situation. Where, wow. while The Dark Knight, I still argue, is a great film, the politics are just muddy enough to be like, I don't know about this. And so we have to revisit the next entry to determine, like, how we really feel about all yeah. of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll see how that goes next time in book so four. Is this, is this uh, The Dark Knight Rises, I guess, is the question. 
The Dark Knight Rises is season four. This is the Dark Knight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, I hope it's not season four. Well, okay. Well, it's it's. I remember it being less messy than The Dark Knight mm-hmm. Rises. Uh, but I also was someone who completely was won over by like the operatic nature of Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. We'll see. Dark Knight Rises is fun. I will defend that movie as being a fun movie. <laughs> I I think it's it's very good. I I would say even great at times. I gotta say though, there is one scene I can't remember if I brought this up on the episode we did on it. You probably did, but fuck it. I probably did, but I have to bring it up again. Where when Batman comes back to the city and he he lights the bat signal, right? Mm-hmm. And like he burn he burns the bat signal into the bridge or whatever, and saves Commissioner Gordon from drowning. Uh, they cut to Bane, right, in wherever the fuck his headquarters is. And he sees the bat symbol, and he says to himself, "Impossible." <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Why? Because Batman has already talked to uh, Talia Al Ghul. <laughs> <laughs> she would have informed Bane. <laughs> you don't need a scene of Bane going impossible. You can just do that image. Yeah. And instead, they have him say to himself, "Impossible." <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember Batman talking to Talia Al Ghul before that, but all right. Got, well, Bruce Wayne talks to her. Or Bruce Bruce Wayne, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Or at yeah. least he talks to someone in her circle of people. But <laughs> she would have known he was back. Are you sure? I don't know. I I'm not through watch this now. I I don't think that's that's correct. I think I'm correct. All right. Well, we'll see. I will now look up that scene while you're talking. Okay, well, I'm just going to wrap up the episode now because we're, we're done with yeah. book three. So on that note, Matt... Instead of talking we... about this really emotional final, I'm trying to prove Diego wrong. Yeah. You know it's finale, right? Uh, um, no, I said final episode. I know, but it's finale. It's still finale. But it's, but it's, but it's the final episode of the season. Uh, all right. I didn't say finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, se- season episode. finale is still a thing. Yeah, I did not say season finale. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Fucking come at me, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, Matt, where can people find you? He talks to Catwoman. Yeah, Catwoman's not going to tell Talia Al Ghul. Or yeah, the, but then or they're the all Bane informed people. by, like, the next scene. No. Oh. Bane would have known. All right, all right. You just don't need Bane saying impossible. I, I guess. That's my point. You, you want less Bane? Bane? You want less Bane in that movie? No, he's still in the shot. He just doesn't say impossible. <laughs> all right, all right. Where can people find you so we can get out of here? I think my audio just cut out because I started watching the scene. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Where can the people find you? Hold on, he's talking to Oh my god. It's snowing. And he gives her oh he gives her the uh thumb drive that'll help her erase everything. Where's Han Hathaway been? She's still acting. Yeah, but like what is she Oh, she was in the witches. Oh, we don't talk about that one though. Yeah, uh I saw some of that. It was bad. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna watch that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, she gets him the Lucius Fox, and that's how fucking what's her face knows. Ah, uh... Okay. I'm still right, motherfucker. I mean, technically. 
fucking challenge me. All right, all right. Bruce Wayne. <laughs> dressed up as Batman. <laughs> can you be called Batman? <laughs> <laughs> where, where can people find you? Um, I don't fucking know. Oh, uh, on twi- I'm on Twitter. You know my Twitter handle. Fucking like seven people listen to this. <laughs> Links down in the description they, below. They've all abandoned ship by now. <laughs> like they've just all been like this. This the new people that would have jumped on board is like, oh, new Legend of Korra podcast. Like, oh, fuck these guys. <laughs> like, everyone's already gone. <laughs> Even friends like pretend to listen to this. Like, everyone's very polite. I'm very grateful. <laughs> I know you're not listening. <laughs> but the one that does, thank you. Yeah, but fucking Dan Doherty's in the wilderness, so... <laughs> he came back for the Snyder Cut, I believe. Oh, hey. Yeah. I hope, I hope he enjoyed it. I hope so, too. But you can find me at the Diego Crestwell. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. And get early access to Book 4 and some other retrospectives that we're doing. I know we want to do at least one before we switch over to the next official retrospective. Uh, maybe two. We'll see. We'll see. But thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. <laughs>